definitely the sustainability and the continuity of supply, security of supply. You know, COVID taught us this, right? You realize all of a sudden when all your lettuce comes from California or Mexico, okay, what happens when the borders close or what happens if there's a hurricane? I think governments, investors, the average consumer are much more aware of vulnerabilities and, and wanting to see that food security, that availability more local, but it doesn't have to be in your urban area. Like, does it need to be in Surrey for the city of Surrey? Well, probably not, but it could be in Cloverdale. It Absolutely. could be in Chilliwack. It could be in these areas where land is more accessible. Welcome to Surrey Economic Insights, where we sit down with some of the top city building and industry experts to unpack the latest business insights and opportunities affecting fast-growing cities like the city of Surrey in British Columbia, Canada. My name is Stephen Wu, the Manager of Economic Development with the City of Surrey. And today, we welcome Kevin Meyer, Vice President and General Manager of Argus Control to our podcast, where we'll be exploring how the serious need for innovation and sustainability in our food system will help create a more resilient food system for all. Thank you, Kevin, for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here, Stephen. Thanks for the invite. You know, I, I think one of the stories that I like to tell is the fact that, you know, I actually was introduced to Argus Control probably about six, seven years ago when one of my first projects here at the city was to build a research and demonstration greenhouse with Simon Fraser University and the University of the Fraser Valley. And knowing nothing about greenhouses, I remember very clearly the recommendation that the professors and the agriculture experts had for me, which was, if you're going to build a greenhouse here in British Columbia, you need to call Argus Controls and you probably need one of their systems. My understanding is, is you are actually one of the largest market leaders for greenhouse control systems in all of North America. How did that, well, that come that, about? It's tough to beat that intro, Stephen, if you're ever looking for a sales job. Yeah, Argus has been around for about 40 years, always based in Surrey. Our founders were a couple here that uh, still live in White Rock, I believe, who were growers and they they needed a system and so kind of built their own. And out of that, you know, eventually was formed Argus. And actually a number of our employees are, have been here since almost the very beginning, like 30 plus years with the business. And so being started by growers who knew the business and what the needs of growers in indoor farming were, you know, we kind of created a niche and, you know, lo and behold, here we are for almost 40 years later. And Argus is, like you said, in North America in particular, is one of the leading brands when it comes to environmental controls for any indoor growing greenhouses, vertical farming, or, you know, cannabis, uh, any, any time that a, a plant needs to be grown indoors, Argus is definitely one of those leading brands. What fascinates me is, is, you know, probably 40 years ago when Argus came up with your environmental control system, it probably was considered leading edge. How is it that 40 years later, you are still considered leading yeah. edge and leading the agriculture revolution that people are talking about here in British Columbia? Yeah, well, <laughs> one, one of the learnings I, I continue to make in my career, Stephen, is there is, you know, when you look at, at, at technology or somebody's career, it always looks like it goes up and to the right on a straight line. Well, that, that isn't the case, right? There's always dips and spikes and valleys and, you know, but over time, you're right, Argus has continued to be a market leader in its technology and its development and we're getting ready to launch our next generation product here. But the primary product that we sell today has already been around for 15 years. And to be a market leader with a technology that's you know already 15 years old tells you something about the innovation, kind of the forward thinking that went into that product that many years ago. And again, kind of being grower owned and developed, they really uh, understood. And I think you still look at our core staff, they know the growing environment very, very well. And they understand you know what 
a grower needs, what a plant needs, and how does that translate into a, a unique proprietary system, both hardware and software. And you, and many of our competitors, they're taking, you know, they have really compelling products, but what they're doing is they're taking off-the-shelf computing devices, PLCs or other off-the-shelf computing devices, and just loading software on them. We're starting right from scratch. So the electronics right through how that interfaces, the software, the firmware is all completely custom designed specifically for those growing environments. So we're not the only ones to take that approach, but very innovative in terms of how and who we serve, very focused on those growers and those environments. And, and in the end, you end up with innovative product in that niche. So I guess over the past 40 years and kind of where you see the industry growing in the next 10, 20 years even, what has changed and what do you see changing as we move forward? So at its heart, what we do, what Argus does is enable automation. And we are, we are an automation enablement company. Like for example, when you think about automation, many people think right away of robots, robotic arms, you know, that kind of stuff. Really, any, anywhere where you're enabling, you know, instead of somebody going and having to hand water a plant now, we're automating the ability to not only water the plant, but deliver the right nutrients at the right time for that growing environment or opening roof vent. So, so the automation that we're, you know, we're already doing is, for example, is so we have our own weather stations on top of a greenhouse. It will predict, say, the wind is changing or I know the weather is going to change. It's starting to rain. I'm going to make sure all those roof vents close so that it doesn't get damaged. Water doesn't come into the site. So that's the type of automation we're already doing. And I think where the industry is going is more of that, more the ability to, to be more, you know, more automation inside the facilities. So, you know, sensors, for example, more sensors in the growing environment. So you can have multiple crops inside of one environment, more automation around, you know, precise growing using supplemental lighting. So you can extend the daylight, especially in like northern climates. So you can kind of make sure you're optimizing for those types of things. But I think the big push is really going to be around data analytics. I wouldn't really call it AI, but, you know, at this point, but machine learning. And that's one of the areas where a company like Argus is really well positioned. You know, we're we're not necessarily the data scientists, but we have access to 3,000 sites globally where we, you know, we, we have the growing, we have the access to the data. So our ability to pull data in and help understand analytics and, and do machine learning around how do certain crops go in certain environments, you know, whether it's a geographical environment or whether it's a certain type of crop or even the type of, like there's a, there's a, there's a fair amount of variation between greenhouse designs or indoor grows, what kind of crops grow better. I think that's where a lot of the new technology will go So automate and, and, really dialing in those automations. So so that would be one change. And kind of combined with that is, as in other industries, is we're seeing a real shift of, you know, the older generation of growers, people who grew up on the farm, growing their whole lives, all the knowledge is kind of embedded in them as a person, are retiring, leaving the business. And we're seeing new growers come in, especially in vertical farming and, and, and cannabis, where it's people who are more technologists than they are growers, and they see an, an opportunity to leverage technology in that space. Well, their approach to solving problems is very different. And so they're looking to companies like Argus and others to say, well, how do we grow X crop or how do how should we grow? And so that's where data and analytics and that new generation of grower really come come to the forefront is new ways to do it, really training that next generation of grower, really enabling them. So I think that there's, you know, kind of at the macro level for indoor growing, those are kind of the two big trends. Data, new approaches to it with new farmers. And one of the ones is is I'm sure 
you've heard of is, you know, or, or aware of is kind of a lot of interest in it and focus on new ways of growing or new, new technologies in vertical farming. How do we do more of that? We see some of those trends as well, but I think the big ones are, like I said, the, the data analytics, the opportunities for that, and then really educating and, and helping the next generation of grower. Because I guess, you know, we had talked about it, you know, before, you know, essentially, even though you're using next generation technologies like vertical farming, energy comes from somewhere. You're just changing energy into calories. Yeah. And so with this and, and the sensors that you're putting into place, what are you seeing? Is there actually a net benefit and trade-off with some of these technologies? Is it here? Are we going to see, be seeing more vertical farming or is there still a ways to go? Because the last time I looked at it, you know, the power requirements for some of these operations is astronomical. And I think even here in British Columbia, we don't have that kind of power in yeah. general. Yeah. So, so I think that there, there's a few dynamics with vertical farming. And listen, there's some really fabulous companies in this space. There will be, there is a niche for these, when we think about a vertical farming, what's in our mind's eye about a vertical farm, literally, you know, in a container or in a warehouse with very tall racks and maybe a lot mm -hmm. of automation, a lot of plant movement. There is a niche for that growing. There will be consumers who want locally grown basil, lettuce, maybe even even strawberries. But I also don't think it's the panacea and the, the solution for all of our food needs, all of the needs around environment. I mean, you alluded to one aspect, just just electricity consumption. We've hired some some different people to look at this. And one of the economists we hired, you know, his basically he comes back to the point, he says, he doesn't see a path where the unit economics makes sense for vast amount of food production. He cannot replicate the cost of producing in the field, wherever that is. And we look at greenhouses. I mean, we see some of our clients and the automation they're doing in a greenhouse. You know, the cost to build and run a greenhouse where even in BC, where in the winter, you're still getting five or six hours of sunlight. The cost to replicate that, the cost to put up a concrete structure versus a glass structure, all of those things, I think there's, in the end, there will be a niche for vertical farms. I think we're going to see a big expansion in greenhouse production, automation, you know, again, using data analytics, when and how should you grow? When do you add supplemental lighting? What kind of irrigation and fertigation should you add? That's where I think there's a big opportunity and where we'll see some of the learnings from vertical farming pull downstream in, into greenhouses. Like we, we have some clients that are, you know, they, they've automated greenhouses where they have more maintenance staff than they do people picking and, you know, doing lettuce and they're, they're producing like a million head of lettuce every other week, you know, in a 12 acre site, like you cannot get that type of yield on the field and you probably can't replicate it in a vertical farm mm -hmm. at that cost basis. So I think that there, there's, there's a place for all of these. And I think vertical farming, there's going to be a few winners there and we're going to learn a lot, but I, I don't see that as the sole solution. And I guess, you know, um, one of the things that when you kind of mentioned that you are actually at 3,000 sites globally that you're monitoring using your systems, you know, right now, I think extreme weather and climate change is a huge part of the dynamic in agriculture. And you see that in a lot of the more agriculturally inclined areas, such as the U.S. Midwest, and a lot of places that are also very prone to hurricanes and other extreme flooding and stuff like that. How have you seen some of those places adapt to climate change? And are they the areas where they're actually putting up more greenhouses because they can control the growing environments more? Yeah, Stephen, I think you're right. Like you look like, for example, California. I mean, there's a reason why so much produce comes out of California. Very hard to replicate both the soil, lighting, water conditions that you have in an area like that. But 
what's changing there is the drought, right? They, they don't have access to water. So, you know, indoor farming in general, like vertical farming can use less water than, than a greenhouse, but a greenhouse can still use 80 to 90% less water than a field farming because it doesn't evaporate as quickly. You can be much more precise in the amount and how and where and when you dose and what you dose with. And so I do think that even in primary growing areas like California, Texas, uh, the Midwest, we are going to see, again, I think part of this push towards more indoor growing, but it's not necessarily going to be the big vertical towers that we kind of envision in popular mechanics. It's going to be, you know, a, a bit of a hybrid, but the technology that you enable to, to be very climate friendly, be very effective and efficient in your growing, it's going to be a big push. And even in outdoor farming, I mean, you see a lot of a push around a carbon sequestration and, you know, all those types of pushes. I think you'll see these technologies kind of merge across things that we learn in vertical farming will come into greenhouses. What we're learning in the field will come into vertical farming, but definitely the sustainability and the continuity of supply, security of supply, you know, COVID taught us this, right? You realize all of a sudden when all your lettuce comes from California or Mexico, okay, what happens when the borders close or what happens if there's a hurricane? I think governments, investors, the average consumer are much more aware of vulnerabilities and, and wanting to see that food security, that availability more local, but it doesn't have to be in your urban area. Like, does it need to be in Surrey for the city of Surrey? Well, probably not, but it could be in Cloverdale. It Absolutely. could be in Chilliwack. It could be in these areas where land is more accessible. Um, you know, and I think BC is well positioned that. I mean, you know this well, the ALR and how the government mm -hmm. has, has very, in a very foresightful way, allocated so much land to ensure we had a stability of supply. I would think in 50 years, more and more of that will look more like, you know, indoor farming of some kind. And I guess right now there is a huge push for more agriculture innovation to solve a lot of these very fundamental problems. Greenhouses are becoming more automated. They're becoming more about, you know, climate controlled environments. Mm -hmm. Greenhouses requiring more efficient use of power. You see that the next generation of farmer has to be more tech inclined and has to kind of understand how to do data. Right now, when you kind of take a look at British Columbia, even though we have so much agriculture land, as you kind of alluded to, in the greater sense of things, people still think of Canadian agriculture as being a Saskatchewan. So what yep. advice would you have for a BC innovator who's trying to get into the space of innovating for agriculture to be successful in terms of understanding how farmers actually work and what exactly growers actually need and to be able to scale their technology to meet those global yeah. demands? Yeah, it's a great question, Stephen. And I, you know, I'd probably need to think about it more. But my, my first thought is what I've seen kind of as I, I, I'm relatively new to ag tech myself, right? I, I came out of more technology manufacturing, robotics, other spaces, didn't come in. I mean, I grew up on a farm, but I, you know, I wasn't a farmer. And so I, I'm new myself. I'm no expert in this. What I'm observing is, you know, kind of maybe a little bit what have I alluded to earlier is what we noticed, we noticed it a lot in cannabis. We noticed it a lot or are noticing a lot in vertical farms is it's investors and technologists, people that come from robotics or other software things and, and see, and they're not wrong, a big opportunity in agriculture, but they come in with a technology first mindset and they mm -hmm. kind of skip right over the whole agricultural, that expertise, thinking that they, they can reinvent it. And, and then you also have on the other side, kind of more the traditional farmer grower who really wants to just start growing stuff. And then they're going to put a, a Honeywell thermostat in their growing environment. And I mean, we see that too, yeah. right? And I, I think if you're coming into it as a, an investor or a technologist is I would try to bridge that gaps. 
Yes, you need the technology, but if you get some really smart people who actually know how to grow stuff and get those to align, I think then that's where you'll find a sweet spot. Like, like I think of like Terramera, you know, another local Valley company here, Semios, another one where, you know, in their space, they're combining that expertise in agriculture with expertise in technology and trying to find that sweet spot. I think you, you, trying to start on either side of that spectrum is going to be, you know, you see pure startups, they come in with a lot of money and they raise a bunch and they're, they're all about the technology but don't actually understand the unit economics or don't understand what it's going to take to, uh, to actually grow X in that environment, right? Yeah, and, and that's something that we've seen time and time again is, is, you know, a lot of times great technology is being innovated, but you just have to be in the field and you need to kind of understand the yeah, unit economics right. and whatnot. Yeah. You mentioned Terramera and Semios and, and whatnot. It just brings back to that roundtable that we had together at City Hall a few months ago. One of the things that struck me the most was how collegial and, and how mm. you guys are, as an industry are willing to work together and how similar some of your challenges are. Yeah. And I know one of the things that we talked a little bit about was talent. Obviously, there's a talent shortage across British Columbia, across North America even. What are some of the talent that you need in particular in order to help your company grow? And what role do you think our local institutions can play yeah. in supporting that? Let, let me make that into two parts here, Stephen. So first of all, about the collegiality, because I think this, this actually helps to solve. I think there's certain industries. I think, you know, probably environmental industry, I think healthcare, agriculture, industries that have a fundamental foundation in we're actually trying to make the world a better place. We want to solve a human problem. We're not a nonprofit. Like we're, we're trying to grow, make money, but it starts with actually we want to solve a, a world a global problem. We see ourselves mm -hmm. as helping to feed the world, right? Where mm -hmm. we don't grow anything, but our technology enables the food that is in your local grocery store. You know, one of our big, big customers, Metacago, is the first mm -hmm. plant-derived farm vaccine approved in the world that was that was developed and grown inside Convire and our sister company Chambers and and in Argus Systems. That's what we kind of gets us up in the morning. And I think it's the same with a lot of these agricultural companies. So when you start with that, even if you're a competitor and you're really trying to solve a problem like that, like it's pretty hard to kind of not want to work with those other companies. So I think that that's one piece of that collegiality you're referring to. Mm -hmm. It also helps us solve the talent problem. Like I know, you know, we're, we're in agriculture. It's typically a lower margin business. It can be really challenging during the end of COVID, when you know there was so much news, and and I know we, you and I chatted about it. There was so much pressure, and, and we were growing. We were trying to find challenge in that environment without overpaying, without having to kind of throw lots of cash at it. You know, at the same time that Amazon and Microsoft are are hiring thousands of people in the Lower Mainland, our small company, you know, went from eighty five to over a hundred in a few months because people align with that purpose. You know, we, we look at some of our, our, our young talent and they go, you know what, I, I could have gone and worked at a tech company or a, a fintech company. But, you know, my dad was a farmer. My grandpa was a farmer. I, I want to make a difference, right? And, and so we, we see the talent is actually motivated by, by the cause and by the purpose. That being said, I think we're, where we are challenged is you kind of started out the conversation with how did you become, how did you get to be one of the leading companies? We are in the midst of, you know, in this digital transformation, 
you know, trying to hire software developers. We are trying to hire hardware developers, firmware developers. That's that's where our biggest growth will continue to be in this next next year and a bit. That's tough because we are competing against the Amazons and the Googles and the, you know, of the world. And so you look at our hires, a lot of them are coming through organizations like VanHack who hire offshore. So, you know, we have employees coming from Brazil and Northern Africa and other places because we can't find that talent here. So it is challenging with certain types of roles, but I do think that we have an advantage over some of those those other companies because I think people are attracted to and are willing to give something up to work for a, for a kind of a, a vision first company. I really like what you said because a social purpose is very, very important now. Like, I think you're right. Like, you can make a lot of money elsewhere, but for what reason? And I think, especially after COVID, people are looking for those reasons to kind of do that. We're not a charity. We're not, we're not trying to ask our people to take way below market. But, you know, we, we need to be competitive. But I, I think you're absolutely right. When there's something else in the mix and it's not just about the perk and the, the title and, you know, it's, it's I know I can go home and, and I can tell my parents, hey, I worked on that site or, you know, I, my wife, that vaccine that got produced, that was done on equipment I helped build. That's pretty compelling, right? Absolutely. And and I think that's probably why I'm still with the city is, is I love what I do with the city. Right. I could be doing yeah. business or whatnot. I think, you know, that's so important. And I think, you know, it's encouraging for young people to kind of be inspired in that way. And I and I know um, our good friends over at Simon Fraser University have tapped you on their advisory council and whatnot. And I encourage you to kind of share this with the students as well, because I think it's a very strong message yeah. because I remember as a university student, you know, is always like, let's go hustle. Like, you know, where can I kind of make a quick buck to kind of survive in a very high cost environment? But mm-hmm. you lose sight that, you know, sometimes, you know, what you do is also very, very important as well. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Kevin, for sharing your thoughts and insights today. I think that was very insightful and very inspirational to a lot of people, not just, you know, the young people, but entrepreneurs and people mm-hmm. who are going to be hopefully your colleagues as well in the agriculture space and helping solve some of these very tough agriculture situations as we kind of deal with extreme weather, war, and other conditions that just make food and, you know, food security a challenge. And thank you to all our listeners today for tuning into Surrey Economic Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review. And don't forget to share this with others as well. And follow us on LinkedIn if you'd like to catch the next episode as soon as it's released. Thank you again, Kevin. And hopefully we can have you back here again in the near future. All right. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you.